You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. I am Shelby Cox, and I'm the director of the Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center and a registered dietitian nutritionist. And as I was kind of preparing for this, you know, I was just going through all the stories from, you know, my clients and my parents and my grandparents and trying to think of, you know, all the interesting things and little tidbits of wisdom they've given me about, you know, food and their experience. And so one of the things that uh, I kind of stuck with me and I was really thinking about was uh, thinking about my grandparents and, you know, just that they grew up, my grandfather in particular, you know, he grew up uh, shortly after kind of the end of the First World War, uh, you know, was an adolescent through the Depression. And so uh, at that time, you know, there was literally government campaigns encouraging you to clean your plate and really reduce food waste. And so a lot of these things had to do with, you know, making sure that when you had a meal in front of you, you ate it all because you weren't really sure when your next one would be. And it's so interesting to me because up until his passing at 97 years old, that really stuck with him. And he still would always tell us, don't waste that food. You can't even leave a bite behind. And at that point, food was no longer a commodity, right? Uh, He had a stable job and stable income through his adult years. Yet that was such a deeply ingrained experience. And so I think that This really relates to what we're talking about today, because when we're talking about nutrition and the aging individual, they're at such a unique juncture in their life where we have all this new science, this new research and information. They have this lived experience, right? And and you're trying to find a middle ground that says, how can we, you know, maybe longevity is important to them. They have maybe chronic conditions that they're trying to manage, but at the same time, uh, they have these 65, 70, 80, 90 years of, of this experience that um, is so ingrained um, psychologically as well. And so it's not as easy as just asking them to change their diet, right? But it's maybe their way of life as well. And so, um, you know, as a dietitian, it's one of my jobs to really work with these individuals to say, how can we uh, meet all of these needs or several of these needs at the same time? Because, you know, that, that quality of life and what their values are around food really matters in this space as well. On today's episode, I'm talking to Shelby Cox, director of the Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center at CSU, about general nutrition advice for healthy aging. We discuss how nutritional needs change as we get older and what a balanced diet includes for a healthy lifestyle. I don't know about you all, but healthy eating doesn't always come naturally to me. So I asked Shelby to share some strategies to make healthy choices easier and more convenient. Finally, I asked Shelby's opinion of a hot topic in aging research, which is using calorie restriction to boost the number of healthy years you have in your lifetime. If this interests you, then I encourage you to stay tuned for our next episode releasing in a couple weeks where we will talk about calorie restriction and intermittent fasting in great detail to see really what is there behind these dietary interventions for healthy aging. But for now, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shelby Cox, a registered dietitian nutritionist. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, And this is Living Healthy Longer, 
a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. Okay, well, Shelby, after all those technical difficulties, <laughs> we're here. We're, we can do this now. Yes, we're ready. Yes. Well, thank you, first off, for agreeing to be on our show and talking to us. I know this is this is your passion. This is your work. You're a registered nutritionist. So let's let's get into it. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really excited to um, be chatting with you today about, uh, you know, nutrition for aging population, because like you said, it's something I'm really passionate about. But also this is a large portion of the population that I work with on a day to day basis. And so uh, it's kind of nice to talk a little bit about how nutrition really impacts the aging individual. Yes. You mentioned like it's it's difficult to get someone who's, you know, been ingrained with these habits their whole life to be able to change. So I guess that leads me into my first question, which is, you know, why would why might they need to change in the first place? You know, what are some of these nutritional needs that are changing as we get older that might cause an older adult to maybe have to change the way that they eat? Good question. So really, there are a lot of physiological changes that occur just slowly kind of over time, and they often impact several or all of our kind of body systems, right? And these can be influenced by different life events. They can be influenced by genetics, uh, socioeconomic factors, um, illnesses or chronic conditions like we talked about. But just some of the natural effects of aging, we see a lot of changes, for example, in sensory systems. So things like vision, taste, smell, right? And we think about we eat with our eyes and we eat with our nose and we eat with our mouth, right? We smell things and we taste them. And this brings part of like the joy in the eating experience too. Um, But also when we think about things like food safety, uh, those sensory systems are the things that tell us food's safe to eat, right? We can smell if it's you know, gone off or it's rotten or, you know, we can see that there's mold on something. And as we get older, some of those systems start to decline, right? And so that can really impact the food choices that we make, but also the way that we have to modify food to make it taste delicious, right? Which might mean adding certain things like more salt or more fat or, right, those kinds of things that make food palatable. Uh, so so those sensory changes can be um, be really impactful on someone's food choices in addition to maybe, um, you know, the food safety aspect of things. Outside of sensory changes, though, we see a lot of physiological changes in terms of changes in muscle mass, changes in bone density, gut health, immune function, uh, oral health, like uh, dentition, right? Poorly fitting dentures or loss of teeth over time. Uh, Also cognitive changes, right? And memory and uh, ability to think through processes of planning to eat and shopping and making food. All of those things can certainly be impacted as well. And then you have mobility and dexterity. Are are you able to uh, stand and prepare a meal, chop food, uh, those kinds of things as well. And so you can imagine when you have all of these bodily systems that are slowly kind of changing over time, each having their own unique impact on nutritional, uh, you know, nutritional health and nutritional intake. uh, It makes nutrition for the aging adult really complicated and, and complex. Yeah. So when you are advising an older adult on, you know, ways to possibly alter their diet, what are some of the common like nutrients of concern? I believe you called it. Yeah. That that you kind of look out for. Yeah. So 
Nutrients of concern for the aging adult tend to be things like protein is a good example. Uh, first of all, one of the changes that I mentioned to you is changes in muscle mass. And so uh, this is also called sarcopenia, but essentially we lose lean mass as we age uh, for a variety of reasons. And in addition to needing protein to help to maintain muscle mass uh, that we already have, or even to build some if you're an exercising individual, right? Uh, protein can be one of the more difficult foods to eat with some of these changes that we mentioned. So for example, you could imagine, uh, say, getting protein from uh, animal products like meat. If you have difficulty um, chewing, right? Uh, chewing a tough piece of meat maybe isn't something that you're doing on a regular basis, right? And so um, there are some challenges that make getting some of these, you know, uh, protein foods difficult. And, and we might have to shift over time the types of protein foods that we gravitate towards uh, because of those challenges. And so protein often is a really big one uh, just to help with, you know, minimizing that loss of lean body mass. Uh, in addition to that, um, just thinking about digestive gut health changes that occur over time. Uh, you know, our older population are dealing with more constipation, more gut um, related issues uh, like that. Uh, and so getting fiber is kind of the, the key to that. And so it's challenging because again, you know, some of the fiber containing foods are maybe the things that in, in general, not just our old, older population, right? In general, uh, it's hard to get people to eat, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and things like that. But it's also, again, difficult when we think about preparing, chewing crunchy vegetables, um, cutting and chopping them and having them available and, and the accessibility. Also, um, you know, budgetary, right? We talked about some socioeconomic factors, but purchasing fresh produce and having it on hand could certainly be a barrier for folks as well. Uh, besides protein and fiber, I'd say you know, I, I consider water a nutrient, right? Like hydration is probably one of the biggest, uh, you know, concerns we have in the aging individual because uh, just so much of our body's function, including its gut function, but also its kidney function uh, relies on having adequate fluid intake. And this can be really difficult because in addition to those sensory changes we talked about, uh, thirst sensation can change over time. And there's actually quite a bit of research that shows, you know, that older individuals uh, tend to be more uh, dehydrated anyways, but also when they get dehydrated, it takes them a lot longer to rehydrate than maybe uh, a younger individual, right? And so can be really uh, important to focus on getting plenty of water. Besides the fact that those thirst sensations maybe not are not as strong as they once were, just remembering, you know, to drink water, have a water bottle with you, right? When you're going about your day to day, uh, if that's not something you're used to doing, can be a difficult change uh, for some people. Even I struggle with my water intake. <laughs> I think a lot of people do, right? And and it's it's sometimes too, it's just not that interesting for people to drink water. You know, they don't feel like it tastes delicious besides that maybe they don't remember to do it. And so a lot of the time, you know, I'm advising people on, you know, maybe you get a fun water bottle you like, or, you know, put, uh, you know, some cucumber or mint or some fruit in your water to make it a little tastier. Uh, yes, but I, I have a lot of clients who express that same sentiment. You know, water's just not that exciting and it's very hard to get. Uh, uh, and so um, it, it's something that we certainly have to work through. It's a, it's a big obstacle for a lot of people. 
I started the thing a couple months ago where I bought a gallon jug to make sure I was drinking because I got annoyed having to get up and refill a glass of water all the time. And then I very quickly got annoyed that I was carrying this gallon jug with me everywhere. (laughs) So I just kind of gave up and I'm probably currently dehydrated. So fair enough. It's hard. And actually that's, that's exactly one of the kind of tools we tell, tell some of our older individuals to use is a concern they often express is just remembering how much they've drank so far that day. And it's difficult if you're just grabbing a small glass here and there to know how much you've actually had. And so I often encourage people to have some kind of vessel, a pitcher or a jug or something like that in their fridge. And then if you pour from that throughout the day, you can kind of see, you know, I know this was two liters. So when it's gone, you know, that's how much you got, but it can be difficult if you don't have a set size, a certain number of ounces in a water bottle, something like that to keep track of what you're doing. Yep. That's sure a tough one. And, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, when you talk about things of like reduced ability to sense hunger and thirst and, you know, the, the need for protein because of sarcopenia and the loss of muscle mass with age, these are episodes we've already talked about in the past. And, And so, so the whole reduced ability to sense hunger and thirst goes back to our hallmarks of aging and why, you know, we have reduced cell to cell communication as we Mm -hmm. get older and uh, inflammation in the body that just naturally happens as we get older that right. makes it really difficult for that cell-to-cell communication so that you know when you're hungry and you know when you're thirsty, it makes it more difficult. And yeah, yeah. We have a whole episode with healthy muscle aging with Dr. Karen Hamilton. So yeah, yeah just want to put a plug in there about that. Yeah, perfect. And as you said, it's, I think, so important also for people to know that these are natural parts of aging, right? It, there's there's nothing wrong uh, with these changes. They, they're natural and expected parts of changing. And so it's helpful, especially for, you know, the the younger group of our older individuals to know, like, these are things that we can work on really early, right? Um, And knowing like, these are things that we and especially some of the dietary uh, science right now is looking at prevention efforts for some of these things, or how do we, uh, you know, increase the longevity piece, right? And so, um, but yeah, certainly just reminding uh, folks that, yeah, these are natural aging processes, right? And so we certainly want to do what we can to, to help with those. Absolutely. It's nothing personal happens to all of us. (laughs) So, so Shelby, very general question. What is the best diet for healthy aging? I know diet, diet industry, diet culture is multi-billion dollar industry most likely, but there's gotta be a science to it of what we're supposed to be eating. So, so what do you recommend to your clients? There's no one size fits all. And I think that's the case if anyone were to ask me the best diet for this, 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 or this. As as I mentioned, you know, in, in my story, these folks are at a place in their life where they have um, all these experiences that they're bringing to the table. And then they have their own unique health needs, their unique um, genetic uh, makeup, their unique uh, socioeconomic environmental uh, sort of uh, factors as well. And so really what I like to encourage is more a dietary pattern, you know, meaning that there's some flexibility in that. Uh, but for the most part, some kind of benchmark things that we want to focus on doing or or goals that we want to focus on reaching. And so some of the patterns that uh, I find really 
tend to be impactful in the aging space, one being the Mediterranean diet that, you know, many people are probably familiar with, but why it can also be great in this aging space is because it tends to really focus on some of those nutrients of concern, particularly fiber, right? Uh, Kind of at the base of the Mediterranean sort of pyramid is all of our plant foods, right? So really encouraging a lot of fruits and vegetables, particularly those deeply darkly colored fruits and vegetables that have those great antioxidant properties that can help fight that inflammation that we're talking about as a natural part of aging. And uh, and as we're starting to see more uh, research being done in the cognitive decline space and in the memory space, uh, we're finding that a lot of these foods like our berries and our deep dark colored greens and nuts and healthy oils, right? All of those things are um, starting to be uh, kind of associated with improved cognition as we age, right? And so a Mediterranean diet uh, kind of encompasses all of those things, encourages these, uh, you know, healthy proteins like fish and seafood, for example, with our great omega-3s for brain health as well, uh, right? So uh, I think a pattern like that, it just, instead of saying, you know, you have to eat this, this, and this every day and really being rigid and too structured for people. It provides a pattern that, you know, most of the time, if we're focusing on meeting our needs in this way, it's going to be beneficial. Um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of the research has actually shown, you know, that you don't have to follow diets like the Mediterranean diet dash diet is another one. So dietary approaches to stop hypertension, uh, same thing encourages a lot of fruits and vegetables, lots of fiber and kind of a naturally high fiber diet, but a lot of research has found that even following these in some kind of moderate form or fashion has had some of those improvements that we're looking for. And so I think that, uh, that's a positive thing to let people know that it doesn't have to be this um, really rigid, perfect thing, but rather just a pattern that you're striving to achieve. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, diets, dieting, nutrition for neurocognitive decline, and maybe how to prevent that. If you have a couple minutes just to tell us what are some best practices for preventing, you know, cognitive decline? Sure. So uh, a really interesting uh, space right now is just looking at how uh, diet and nutrition can impact our brain and whether that's, you know, memory and cognitive function, also in the prevention of uh, diseases like Alzheimer's, right? And so one of the things that I mentioned earlier, the Mediterranean diet, actually there's a group and this originated out of Rush uh, University in Chicago. Uh, they're looking at something called the MIND diet. And the MIND diet stands for Mediterranean and DASH. So those two diets I mentioned uh, put together. So Mediterranean DASH intervention for neurodegenerative delay. And essentially it's combining those two patterns that really focus on certain foods, right? Certain nutrients that we know to be of importance to help either delay the onset of Alzheimer's or help in the the prevention or reduction of that cognitive decline that uh, many aging individuals might experience. And so what they really do uh, with this mind diet that I think is interesting is they highlight, they have these 10 foods that they highlight uh, as foods that you really want to focus on getting, uh, many of them getting daily, some of them getting a few times a week. And uh, just to even highlight a few, uh, you know, berries are one that they really focus on. So there's a lot of um, research, even some research being done here at CSU on uh, the benefits of nutrients in berries. Uh, But both of those dietary patterns emphasize eating fruit, but the mind diet even hones in further on berries specifically uh, for a lot of their uh, kind of antioxidant polyphenol benefits. Uh, Other things include your green leafy vegetables, 
um, nuts, uh, olive oil is a good example, beans as well. So they really highlight beans as being important. Um, so beans, lentils, soybeans, all of those kinds of things. Uh, fish, as I mentioned earlier, especially for its uh, omega-3 properties. So it really focuses on, you know, some of those foods that they think have specific properties that are really uh, beneficial for the brain. And then uh, it also has some foods that it suggests limiting. And, and again, it, this aligns very closely with a Mediterranean or DASH approach. And again, not foods that have to be avoided completely, but foods that we might uh, seek to limit in our diet. And so that includes things like sweets. That includes things like uh, saturated fats like butter, but also um, that includes um, margarine uh, as well. Uh, red meat. So again, not totally avoiding, but limiting to only a few servings per week. And then fried foods as well. And so um, some of those nutrients that we know tend to be associated with some of these chronic conditions that um, that we experience with aging as well. And so um, it's just kind of a nice guideline when we're thinking, you know, people are saying, well, what foods should I really focus on? I think it gives a, a really nice place to start as far as foods that, you know, certainly aren't going to hurt and could definitely uh, enhance health. Fantastic. Yes. It's always good to have a guide when it comes right. to healthy eating. <laughs> and I like to think of it as just that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it is a pattern or a guide. It's not rules that, you know, we don't want it to be food rules. Like, you know, we don't want it to be diet-esque, but rather just a pattern that we seek to follow most of the time. Uh, and I think that makes it a lot more feasible for, for folks who are trying to make even just small actionable changes with their diet. Right. And I know for myself with eating healthier, what's really been helpful is finding ways that I enjoy to cook these foods. Right. So, so I'm interested to talk to you, you know, about some strategies to make healthy eating easier because, you know, the food can be a lot tastier than what you buy straight off the shelf. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that point that you make, how making healthy choices, easy choices is like the theme of the hour, right? Like, making this something that people can do and execute on a daily basis, I think is so important. And so some of the strategies that I encourage people to use is one, uh, not be afraid of the frozen food section, right? And so growing up, uh, you know, my parents probably, they were at the height of like TV dinners coming out and the freezers being full of things that you could just microwave, right? And put on a TV tray. And that's improved a lot, right? So the the freezer section looks a lot different than maybe it did 30, 40, 50 years ago. And so I encourage people to maybe revisit the freezer section because now you can find, for example, frozen fruits and vegetables there that are just that. They're frozen at peak season. They're still at the height of their nutritional value. They're not going to go to waste because they can be stored in your freezer for longer, right? You can use them in a lot of the same preparation methods that you would use fresh. And I think a lot of people got to a place where they were a little bit afraid of the frozen section just because it often was filled with sauces and sodium and added fat, right? Which a lot of, too, diet culture that's now been around even since the 1960s has kind of made us be a little bit afraid of. And so really knowing that there's some options out there now that have made things a lot easier and you're not necessarily compromising the nutritional value like maybe you once were. So encouraging people to utilize those items because it's so nice to pull a bag of, say, frozen vegetables out of the freezer and steam it and it's ready to go, right? It's one step, it's, it's fairly quick and easy. So that's one thing that I encourage people to do. I also encourage folks to think about opportunities to add flavor, to make it exciting, right? And so I mentioned, you know, some of these sensory changes that might be occurring, particularly with smell and taste. And so 
making food exciting, making it pretty to look at. So we talked about those deep, dark colors, having a variety of colors, but also a variety of flavors. So using herbs and spices and fragrance uh, notes, uh, you know, even just some of our more fragrant like vegetables, onions, garlic, those kinds of things, they can add a lot to that eating experience. And I, I think you you hit the nail on the head, Hannah, with just talking about how making food enjoyable is important. And at the end of the day, that's my goal is to make sure that the individuals I'm working with feel like they can eat a diet that they enjoy. It's not just that they feel good, but that they're happy as well. And that quality of life piece becomes really critical, uh, especially for the aging individual. And so really trying to find ways that make them excited about eating and and maybe cooking. You know, uh, some people don't enjoy cooking as much as others, but, uh, you know, trying to find just new and creative ways to make dishes that they've enjoyed uh, in the past or or that they maybe haven't cooked for some time and encouraging them to, to stay in the kitchen and, uh, you know, continue honing some of those skills. Uh, you know, it's never too late to, to learn how to cook. So uh, a lot of aging individuals might be interested even in just learning some new, new skills uh, to make food fun. Right. I think all of those are really great tips, but what it's making me think of is, you know, I myself hate spending a lot of time in the kitchen to prepare a meal. And, you know, going back to what you were saying, some older adults might struggle to stand in the kitchen to prepare a meal. Mm -hmm. Just the act of standing there for a long time doing Mm -hmm. it is, can just be laborious. Sure. And so, so can you share with us even more strategies to make healthy eating easier around maybe the time constraints that you might have. Yeah, absolutely. And so another time saver, especially in that produce section, often when I think of challenges in the kitchen, the idea of chopping and cutting a bunch of fruits and vegetables and things like that tends to be a deterrent for a lot of people. Uh, And now in your produce sections, you can find bags of pre-chopped broccoli and cubes of butternut squash, and you can find bagged salads that have everything mixed together. They have dried fruit and uh, a mixture of vegetables. So you're not just having to get a big head of lettuce and cut it up, right? And so a lot of those things are available now in the stores and that can really help people when time is a constraint. Certainly we have to weigh up the budgetary piece, right? Because sometimes those items can be a little bit more expensive. And so, uh, you know, there there is a trade-off there, but it certainly can save some time and make some of those vegetable produce kind of items much more uh, accessible for someone who maybe isn't able to steadily hold a knife and and sit there and cube and dice and do those kinds of things. In uh, almost all of your general grocery stores now, you can find many of those kind of pre-chopped, pre-prepared items, again, that are just the real thing that someone's taken the time to cut up for you, right? And so that's a a really helpful tool. Also, you know, not being even afraid of canned items, you know, certainly, uh, again, there's some trade-offs to be made, but it's so much more important to get the vegetable or to get the fruit, right? Add these things into our diet, knowing that they have these nutritional value that can be really beneficial. It can be really difficult uh, to get adequate nutrition uh, just just in general, right, Uh, because of budgetary needs, because of uh, preparation, lack of hunger cues, things like that. And so we just want to take every opportunity that we have to get some of those really nutrient dense foods in. Awesome. And so do you have any like websites or tools or resources where people can learn more about this, these strategies? 
Sure. So, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, uh, a little uh, plug for for ourselves. You know, uh, I work at the Kendall Reagan Nutrition Center here at Colorado State University. And so, I mean, one great resource is we have a website that has a monthly blog. We post recipes and have videos as well as recipes for people to access there. But also if someone feels like they need more uh, one-on-one guidance, you know, uh, seeking out, even if it's not here, to seeking out a registered dietitian to help really customize these things, right? Because as we've talked, about every individual has so many unique needs and especially the aging individual. And so having someone sit down and really uh, talk through what your particular concerns are, what your particular health conditions are, that kind of thing, I think is very important. Uh, but also as far as, uh, you know, some websites go, certainly, uh, you know, uh, choosemyplate.gov is a great place to go as far as uh, talking about balance and, uh, you know, really achieving uh, some of these nutrients of concern. Uh, Choose My Plate is a again, a kind of a dietary pattern that encourages a really high fiber intake, which is great. Uh, and, and also encourages, you know, meeting some of those other needs, whether it be, uh, you know, calcium needs, uh, uh, vitamin and minerals, things like that. So that could be a, a great resource for people. But also, you know, there's a lot of Mediterranean diet resources out there as well. And so uh, I think that that would be, um, you know, whether it's, books, there's cookbooks, there's books to read, there's websites. Um, but the Mediterranean diet is something that is, uh, you know, very, um, vastly, uh, you know, talked about, uh, now, and there's a lot more research, uh, backing it. And so that might be, uh, you know, a, a kind of buzzword to look for if you're looking for resources. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to take a bit of a turn and go back a couple questions because when you and I were talking, you know, earlier this week about this episode, I asked you about, you know, this, this strategy within aging research that's becoming very popular, which is caloric restriction mm-hmm. as a way to extend your health span. And uh, the whole idea behind it is reducing the amount of calories you consume by 10 to 30% of what you would normally eat. But the important part is without malnutrition. So you're reducing the amount that you eat, but you're not going to be malnourished. And so you and I started talking about that. And then we just started talking about trends that we see with older adult populations anyway, because Mm -hmm. like, this is just a really interesting, you know, demographic of people that grew up in a a time when, you know, food was maybe not abundant or diet industry was just rolling out. Mm -hmm. And and we had really weird ideas of what we were supposed to eat, how we were supposed to look and things like that. So I just wonder if we can discuss just maybe some of those trends that you see with older adults that come into, into uh, your office. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what first strikes me when thinking about this this calorie restriction piece is just that there's a lot of risks uh, with our older population in particular, because if they were to have even a small bout of illness or be diagnosed with a chronic condition, uh, any of those kinds of things, you know, certainly their risk for malnutrition is already higher because of all of these changes that we've been talking about. And so there is a risk. However, you know, a lot of the, the research is telling us we're seeing, you know, cellular changes, improvements with calorie restriction in terms of health span, right? I mean, there's quite a lot of, uh, uh, experts working in this space right now. But one of the, the things that I don't love about, you know, this, this calorie restriction piece is that 
yes, there were some of these folks like my grandfather that I mentioned who grew up in the depression and food wasn't abundant and, you know, you had to eat everything you had the opportunity to eat. But then there's folks who, like my parents, who I hate to admit are now in this aging population, uh, that they were born at a time, for example, like the Atkins diet came out in 1960, right? And so diet culture was bursting onto the scene, right? And so basically, you know, I was talking with my mom earlier this week, and she was just saying, I was on a diet all my life. Like that was really her reality, because these diets were so prominent as she was growing up. And so she really felt like she grew up on a diet, right? And so these folks, many of them that come into our office, this trend that we're seeing is they've been dieters, especially yo-yo dieters, because they tend to be these fad diets their entire lives, really, or their entire adult lives, especially. And so they've done restriction and it hasn't worked, right? Uh, We see that restriction doesn't work in the long term. And so when I say it doesn't work, I don't mean it won't help with health span and longevity. It might, but translating what we know about that science at a cellular level to how people actually live their lives, I think there's certainly a disconnect there. And so it's really hard to ask people when you know, they have all these other constraints, whether it's socioeconomic factors or they have illnesses or changes that they've had to make, right? I mean, this is a big time of transition for people as maybe they're going into retirement after lifelong careers or um, all their children have left the house or right. So, so aging is a time of transition for our bodies, but also uh, mentally and socially and all of those kinds of things, right? And so um, I just think, the reality of asking someone to just restrict their calories is, is a challenge in and of itself. And then not to mention some of those risks that come along with them just being, you know, uh, maybe more likely to be malnourished. Right. And, and I think there's a, a, a poor assumption that you have to be underweight to be malnourished. And that's not the case either. Right. They might just not have the nutrient density in their diet or be missing certain nutrients of importance that we've talked about. Uh, and whether they're, you know, whether they're technically a healthy weight or they're overweight or what have you, they could still be a malnourished individual. And so by adding calorie restriction uh, on top of that, it certainly puts them at, at these other risks, uh, you know, that that we'd have to really carefully navigate. Right. And I think it's important to just note that a lot of the studies on caloric restriction have not been in humans. Right. They have been in mice or worms or, you right. know, fruit flies. And so so that doesn't translate very well to humans. Right. So although, you know, it, it works very well at the cellular cellular level and it's been established in these other rodent models and such. The, the jury's still out about humans. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so so that's why it's hard to read, possi- you know, things that happen in studies and try to translate them in, into humans. It just doesn't always work that way. Right. Humans are complicated too, right? Yes. And so when things work in theory, you know, the reality of putting those into play in day-to-day life, uh, you know, adds its own layer of complication. Exactly. So I do want to get around to asking you this last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. And I'm, I'm really curious what you're going to say, uh, which is what is your best advice for healthy aging from your perspective as a dietitian? I think probably my main piece of advice is to look at health as a multifaceted 
you know, a multifaceted process because I think sometimes even in my space, we start talking nutrition and it's all about what you eat and and the exact nutrients and things like that. But the reality of our health is that it's much bigger. And so, you know, a lot of the work that I do uh, is really looking at how we really define health and and health includes our mental health. It includes our social health. It includes our physical health. Uh, And so, just reminding people that it's not just what you eat, although it's important. It's not just exercise, although it's important, right? And so just really making sure to look at health as as a multifaceted process. And I think when we do that and give attention to all of those areas, right, uh, that I think is is the best way to age in a healthy way. And also, um, like I said, bridge that gap between happiness and quality of life and health. Right. It's why they tell you to get enough sleep and right. have a good social life and get exercise because healthy aging is very multifaceted. Yeah. And, and there's there's no, even in nutrition, I tell people this all the time, there's no one food or one supplement or one medicine that's going to do it all. Right. And so we have to, we have to take care of ourselves from all of those different angles. That's very true. Very true. Well, Shelby, we are about out of time and we got through everything. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for this conversation. I could continue talking to you about this for ages because I just personally have struggled with, you know, dieting and, and eating habits in the past. And so I've spent a lot of time working on it in my life. And I just love talking about this topic. Absolutely. Thanks so much for for having me. And, you know, I think that, you know, so many people resonate with that, Hannah, because everyone eats, right? And everyone, so this is why everyone has so much knowledge and experience around food, because we're all experts on our own selves and our own preferences and those kinds of things. And that's what, that's what makes my job fun too, because every person I talk to, it's always a, a little bit different conversation and that keeps things exciting. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.